started, where two or three are gathered in my name, yeah. I am there in the midst of them, and His Word is with us. So uh, let's let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the reminder of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Lord, may you may your presence be among us as we look at your Word and our um, help us to be curious, to be um, receptive, and would you mold and shape our hearts uh, that we might be resurrection people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So yeah, we're, um, we're going to be in the end of Exodus 15 and kind of look at Exodus 15, 16, and the first part of 17. This is, uh, you know, every story, every good story, right, it involves some kind of there's a beginning, but in the middle, there's always some tension that's created. You know, there's obstacles to, to overcome, there's uh, tribulation. Um, chapter 15, the end. Chapter 15, okay. verse 22 is where we'll start. Um, were you here last week, Frank? I can't remember. We, we, yeah, yeah, we talked about the crossing of the Red Sea. <coughs> and so, <coughs> this is kind of like if we were watching a movie. And we think, oh, they're delivered from, <coughs> you know, oppression. Movie's over, you know, like, let's wrap this up with a bow. Well, you could end it there, but truly the story continues. And so this is kind of like they've gone through one difficulty in tribulation. Now they find themselves on the far side of the Red Sea. They're happy. They had just celebrated in jubilant celebration. You know, Miriam and the women taking up tambourines and dancing and singing. You know, sing to the Lord. He has triumphed great, great, uh, gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. God wins, you know, and we, we are the benefic- beneficiaries of God's power here. Why not go to uh, Alan Austin's class on Monday morning? Uh-huh. We also are teaching a class on Wednesday nights. Oh, yeah, the Lay Academy? Is that? Lay Academy. Mm-hmm. So I get sometimes I get uh, pardon me I get confused about remembering which one of those which we're where the, you heard it or Exodus and Exodus okay maybe both of those now I mean the one of the lay academies not specifically on Exodus but we happen to be in oh man well you'll have a lot to help us with here Frank yeah, I don't know you know given <laughs> given your involvement with Exodus <laughs> well please pipe up and share thoughts I mean we're we're kind of going to gloss at this and maybe just ask a few questions. There, there's so much that we could do out of this, you know, and each of these chapters would have its own um, study on it, you know, really, but we're going to kind of look at this as a pattern. So there's going to be three instances here where God is providing for the needs of his people. They've, yeah, sure, they've cleared the Red Sea, but guess what? They're not in the promised land. They're not in the land flowing with milk and honey yet, and so they are going to have needs. And and part of how you you see this this section of scripture as they're leading up to Sinai, where they're going to get the law, and God's going to give them all sorts of instructions on how to live and how life is going to work best and what His kingdom looks like, and it's going to be a revealing of His own character to His people. And of course, we have Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus to also show us some of the other aspects of what happens in their what's called their wilderness wanderings. Um, there's going to be 40 years here where they're going to be in the desert. They're going to be in constant need of God's help and provision. And he's training his people. He's taking them and he's molding them and shaping them and saying, this is the kind of God that you serve. Here's who I am. Here's my power, but here's also my compassion and my kindness. Here's how I'm going to provide for you in all these ways. 
like you're not alone in this desert. But I think just the thought that he, they're going into the wilderness. I mean, what are some things you think of when you think of going into a desert or a wilderness? What, what's the environment like? How does it affect us as humans? Dry. It's dry. Yeah, it's dry. Yeah, no water. There's a lack of resources. Cacti. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that could harm you if you touch them. Prickly things. Yeah, there's, um, you know, you're, you're cut off in a sense. You're isolated, you know. Um, the wilderness is a harsh place. I mean, you know, we, of course, we're, we're, we want comfortable chairs and we want air conditioning and we want a soft bed to sleep in and all these things. Those are not things you find in the wilderness. You know, I don't know. Do either of you go camping or hiking or anything like that? Well, a little bit, but I, I used to commute back to this company and that was part of our overall group in South Dakota. And we, we would fly right over the Badlands. Oh, yeah. It was really pretty rough. That's terrain. rough terrain, yeah. And, um, you know, on the final approach and take it off. I mean, yeah. I, I think of that when I think of the wilderness. It's Absolutely. Like well, it's, and it's isolated. It's oh, yeah. it's it's not civilized. Uh, you know, there's wild animals out there. It's a it, when it gets dark, it gets dark. You know, there's there's nobody else around. And so when I think of Israel going out into this wilderness, um, they're now yeah they're free from Egypt. They're free from slavery, but now now what? You know, they are they are cut off from their origins as a people. They're in an unfamiliar territory. Um, they're wondering, you know, where is our food and our water going to come from? Well, and that's, that's exactly what we're going about to read. Um, but just to set it up, I was thinking about this image of wilderness, desert, and even like in a, as a metaphor, what that is in life. Um, you know, we, we're all, we all want to be changed and um, be molded into the people God wants us to become. But oftentimes we are disappointed and even surprised at the ways God does that. And oftentimes it does take place through some transformative process or event or significant times where we're having to really be brought to our knees in, in need. And that is a desert. That is a wilderness. Um, wilderness, I think, is a place of transformation. It's a place where God's making himself known. He's stripping away all the things that we would cling to, all of our comforts, all of our um, familiarities. That was a point I remember, Adam, that, that Paul's all made when he was here. When he was mm-hmm. ago, but, I mean, it, it was in a Bible study class or whatever, but he, it, he made a point that resonated with me. He hmm. says that, you know, you really don't... Everybody's got to be brought to their knees hmm. before they really relinquish everything to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we wouldn't do it on our own. If we don't have a, ne- a reason to yeah, need right. God, if... Yeah. Well, that's part of why I think Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, because our hearts are so... Uh, they're turned, they're curved inwardly. And we, yeah, it, well, and we get so self-dependent and self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we go, well, I earned this, or I did this, or I can provide for myself. And, you know, that's been an experience of numerous people that I've talked to and when I've gone to places like Haiti. And you're, you're among people who are living in abject poverty, and you see the joy that they have and the true gratitude they have for each meal, 
for every little thing they have. They're really thankful. And then I think of how snotty and ungrateful I am about my life, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm well-fed, I'm clothed, I have a shelter, and I rarely think about where my next meal is coming sure, from, sure. you know? And so I think there is a dependence that when, when, when you are set into a place of, of dependence, you're looking to God. You're going, you know, I'm looking to the hills from where my help comes from. My help from, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so that's the place the Israelites found themselves. Um, you could imagine the terror, the confusion they had. They, they, were, they were needy. And, and so, as you pointed out, Frank, they start to grumble. So let's read here. Will one of you read this uh, verses 22 through 27 from Exodus 15? Okay. Tell me, what, tell me again which verses. Verse 22 through 27, to the end of that chapter. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named it was named Merah, or how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and there they encamped, and they encamped there by the water. Yeah, so, I mean, right away, I mean, they're going, well, wait a minute, where's our water? They start grumbling, you know, for three days they didn't have water. So, I mean, you know, that's a desperate situation. You've got men, women, and children. You've got families out there. You've got the weak and the vulnerable. Um, it's not just a bunch of strong men in their 20s. You know? Moses himself is in his you know, later years. And so this is, uh, they're in great need. And right away, Moses throws this log into this bitter water. They couldn't drink it. And then God uses that sign, doesn't he, as a means to transform that water into nourishment to them, for them. Um, but beyond that, you know, for us, sacrament always comes with a word. It comes with the word of God, with the proclamation of who God is and what he has done on our behalf. It's, it's, it's a means of grace. And so this is like a sacrament. It's not, but it, it's a sign. It's a sign that Moses is God's chosen prophet. You know, the people should listen to him and his leadership. Um, and that's why, you know, the Lord gives them this, this directive you know, he says, if you'll diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and to do what is right in his eyes, if you give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, none of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians will I put on you because I am the Lord your healer. You know, he, God's identifying himself as their healer, their, their caretaker. Um, but he's saying, but you need to look to me. Don't, you know, don't, um, don't wander from my ways of doing things. Um, so he's, this is kind of a foreshadowing, isn't it, of what's about to happen. Um, he's going to be giving them a full law at Sinai. Um, and and so, so they are provided with water. And like we get when we come in from a hot day and we're, ah, refreshment, you know. You drink that water and it just satisfies you. 
And I'm sure the Israelites were grateful and thankful and just, oh, this was so good. And I bet not too much time passes, and here we are in chapter 16 at the beginning here. Um, let's read uh, just verses 2 and 3. You want to read that, Frank? Sure. Uh, chapter 16, verse 2. Yeah. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel uh, said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, they start grumbling. And they're going... Hey, what gives here? Like, okay, so we got some water, but we're in the wilderness. We're hungry. And, you know, we used to have a lot of good food. And eat. Like, I know there were some things that weren't good. I mean, we were, we were under the oppression of the Egyptians. We had to work for them. We were slaves. But, hey, we, had, we got fed. We had a place to sleep. It was comfortable. Um, it was familiar. And here we are. We don't know where we are. We don't know what's happening. Uh, and where's our food? <laughs> they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron and their leadership. Um, it's very quick that they have this dissatisfaction. And they're starting to probably ask, did we make the right decision coming out here? Like, was, was this the right thing to do? Um, you know, God had ignited their longing to, for freedom, their longing for liberation. He had intensified their hunger for a better life. And they've been delivered. And yet, the exodus didn't bring to them the immediate gratification that they really longed for. You know? and, that they're, and just imagine yourself being there. We're, we're just like these Israelites. You know? They're not worse than us. They're not um, different from us. They lived in a different time and have different experience, but this is exactly how you and I would be. Um, because I know I'm that way. I'm looking for immediate gratification. And I, I want to praise God when something goes wrong, but the second that wears off or I feel dissatisfied, I'm wondering, well, come on, God, you, you know? Why do you think God tests? There's so, so many instances throughout the Bible in my limited, very limited mm-hmm. knowledge of where he's testing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, why do you think that is? You know what, what's going to happen. And, and so it gives me a... Yeah, what do you think the testing is about? <laughs> you have any thoughts, Bill? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, I I think what it's it's kind of like God is God is going. Okay, you like the gifts I give you, but do you love me? Do you do do you, do you want me or the gifts? And, and are you going to depend on me and look to me? Or are you going to um, you know, use me to the, to the ends? What a bad thing to good people. Well, sure. Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, gosh, there's so many existential questions around why do things happen. I mean, and ultimately, those things are really, there's not a satisfying answer to tragedy, to, to real hardship. You know, other than we can find redemptive kernels in when people tell their stories of, I was down and out, I was in a hard place. 
I was doubting God's goodness or his, or his existence. And then I was struck by his provision and his grace and his mercy. Or I was, I was brought comfort in a time of grief. And I was reminded of this bigger thing. Now, it didn't make the grief um, go away. I, I'll never forget this. Uh, do you remember Tony Dungy, the former football coach for the Colts and for the uh, Tampa Bay? Yeah, yeah, he had a son who died very young, you know, in his teenage years. And I was in Florida at this time, so it was a big story down there because his family lived in the Tampa area. And um, I'll never forget, he spoke sometime after his son's death. And he, Tony Dungy is a strong, committed believer. Um, just he's, he's had a powerful witness in the sports and media world. He's put out books, and um, I have so much respect for him. And he said... He said, you know, I mean, I'm always going to, you know, he trusts God and loves God with all his heart, mind, and strength. But he was asked, basically like, oh, you know, your son's death has brought opportunity for the gospel to come to people. You know, basically like somebody was asking him, you know, do you think this, maybe God allowed this to happen so that people would hear the gospel or that something good would come out of it. And he said, I would never choose to go through that again. Like, that, that wasn't worth it. If that's the case, I don't want that, you know. And I think that was just a really honest answer because um, tragedy and difficulty are not something that we should take as a direct corollary to, well, God's doing something here. I think it's a reminder, though, that we live in a really fallen, broken world and the uh, pain is not doled out equally. It, it, it's distributed inequitably. Now, now, everybody can relate to stories of pain because everybody at some level has experienced pain, but why some people have dire tragedies while some people lose children and others don't, and some we can't. Yes, some people seem to just walk on water, and yeah, life just is easy. And that is, uh, that's not something you can just explain away and go, well, the will of God in Scripture says good things will happen through these difficulties. I, you know, that that's a, it's a hard place to go. You know, so but I think to bring it back to the testing side, I, I think. God does just, he, he tests his people in Scripture. And we'll, we'll read here in a few minutes about an instance that then is referenced several places in the Psalms and in the book of Hebrews. The testing is probably a lot, lot more than it is for God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a really good question. Well, no, but that's part of this because it does talk about testing here in a little bit. So, so they're grumbling again against God. <laughs> and, and I think I just want to make the point, we talk in our um, Christian world about you know, being born again and this fact of you know, when we convert to Christianity, when we are brought into the kingdom of God, we sometimes overpromise things. And well, now you have a clean slate and it's all going to be different. You know, almost as though life is going to happen through rose-colored or tinted glasses. And when you have Jesus, everything's just a smile. And sometimes we overpromise things and make it sound like, well, there's this clean break. You've been born again, but 
the truth is um, our past comes with us wherever we go. Um, and it often can even haunt us. Um, I saw some some paintings this week on Thursday. I was at this event that Matt and the um, creative roundtable um, or creative ministry was going over at the um, Museum of Art at UAB, their, their gallery. And uh, one of the pictures was striking. It was a man who was on a journey. It was sort of an out-of-focus painting of this man making it through, making his way through a field, and he had a backpack on. But the backpack, interestingly, was the shape of a house. So it was like it was like he had this small house on his back that was like a backpack, you know, with the straps and everything. And I think it was just a reminder that we carry our memories, our hopes, our experiences with us. You know, they're always with us. Even when you move from perhaps not being a believer to being a believer, you still have those experiences and memories. And I think we see that here in this Exodus story, that they're they're pointing back. I mean, hey, we might have been delivered now, but was it really so bad back in Egypt? You know, and, and that's for us as even Christians. We're tempted to go back to Egypt, go back to self-sufficiency, go back to perhaps a lifestyle that isn't best for us, but that we're familiar with. Oh, many years when we had this free recovery group, you know, mm-hmm. I used to tell everybody at the start, we were headed to our house. Mm-hmm. And I said, I hope that, uh, you know, one of my prayers is that I hope that everybody in here gets to the point, because most of them have been through a grief recently in the last six months. Mm-hmm. And I said, I hope that most of you get to the point, at some point in your progression to the grief process, where I think I've got to, and that is that you're thankful for what you have rather than mm-hmm. being pissed off about what you lost. So, mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's, yeah. a, that's an important hurdle for people to get over. So that's I'm really glad I had my son, or I'm really glad I yeah. had, you know, that job or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, ha- it's hard for healing to really take root and well, take right. place. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they were grateful probably for that water, and then shortly thereafter, they're grumbling, going, where's our food? And things were better back there, you know? And so I think that shows us that when Israel emerged from Egypt, she wanted freedom, but she wasn't totally ready for it. She didn't know what freedom meant. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I think we carry that with us, you know. And even though Israel here was safe in the wilderness and was provided for by God Himself, she carried the patterns of Egypt with her, you know. And we all we're carrying all sorts of things with us. But like a good parent, we see God protecting and caring for Israel. And he's creating a dependence for them to learn what it means to trust him and his character. And so the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven on you. Bringing bread from heaven. You know, and of course, uh, this is is manna. So let's look at um, later on in chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, When the dew had gone up in the morning... And there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So, 
you know, mana, we, people have tried to describe it over the years, and, you know, it's, it's clearly something that was fine and white and covered the ground, at least at the camp, wherever God had led his people. And as they moved around, the manna continued to come wherever they were in the desert, you know. Um, and it would come in the morning, and it would melt away by the end of the day. And it's described in verse 31, it's described as, says the name was manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and tastes like it was, was like the wafers made with honey. So it was sweet. It was like a wafer. Um, yeah, um, I think it's like several liters or something like that. So just think of like a two-liter bottle. I mean, yeah, it's approximately that. Um, and so, yeah, they, had to, they, would, they would gather this up, put it into their jars, and that, they would then cook with it or eat it plain or whatever. And, uh, you know, I like how they kind of go... What is it? You know, it's it's almost like they're going. Um, what it's what do you call it, or what's its name? In verse you know? thirty-six, it says an omer is the tenth part of an ephah, whatever that is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. An ephah is like uh, okay. Here it is in my Bible. An ephah is twenty-two liters. So if it's one tenth of that, yeah, about two liters. Right? Yeah. Is for an omer. Yeah. So those are, those were the measurements that they would use when they were. Getting it, but but we have God providing, and this and this is for forty years now that God will provide His people with manna from heaven, and there is an incident later on in the book of Numbers that you might be familiar with, where the people are like, "We're tired of manna, we want some meat," yeah. you know, and God's like, "Oh, you want meat? I'll send you some meat." And He sends some quail all over, and it's you know, it's it's a it's a mess because they get so sick of quail that they go, "Get, let's go back to the manna," you know, <laughs> and so. Uh, it's you know it's the fickleness of the human heart. It's the fickleness of people that we are uh, constantly grumbling against what God has provided for us um, because we're longing for something that ultimately can't be satisfied. And so when Jesus stands before people in John six in verse thirty five, he says, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." He's, he's coming as our spiritual bread from heaven. You know, this manna was pointing to what God, how God provides here in the desert. He will provide for His people forever and ever. He will care for us, not just in a physical sense, though that is true. He provides a stable world. That's part of what the covenant with Noah was about. I will not flood the world again. Um, he gives us uh, the gifts and ingenuity, um, medicine, and all these things are products of gifts of God. You know, ways that we're able to sustain health in this world. and um, But it all points to God's full provision for us in salvation through Christ. You know, this is... this is uh, So we have the Exodus account as a remembrance that it's grace. It's not something that's earned. The people didn't earn it. They woke up every morning and somehow God had provided this manna for them. And you wonder if they had had Jesus' Lord's Prayer then, what that would have been like to wake up and say, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us what we need for today. Not tomorrow's bread. Not for the next week. Not hoarding it up in a savings account so that, oh, we've got a pantry full of manna. Because God said, if you keep it beyond one day, what would happen to it? Do you, do you know? 
maggots and worms would get in it. Like God said, this is enough for today. I'm providing for you step by step. I'm not giving you this insurance policy that allows you to keep a bunch in your tent and it's like, oh, we've got all this manna and now we don't somehow need God's provision every day. It's really, yeah, it's really a daily bread. And there's something really beautiful, I think, about the, it's unmistakable that this comes from God. This isn't something the Israelites work for. It's not something they earn. It's not something that they can go, oh, by, by my hands and by the sweat of my brow, I did this. It's no, they wake up and it's, oh my goodness, God provide, I better get it off the ground before it melts. That's what it was. And, um, and of course, Jesus is our bread, for lo- bread of heaven. Jesus is our manna. Um, and we are to feed on him each day. So when we are praying, give us this day our daily bread, we should be praying physically that he will sustain us and nourish our bodies and keep us well um, so that we can live in this world and be of use as jars of clay, um, ministering to the needs of those around us, loving our neighbor. But also that spiritually, Jesus is our daily bread, that he will nourish our soul because um, we're hungry. We, we are needy. We are... Um, we are forgetful, and we worry and have anxiety over things that uh, we need to look to him for. So it's a reminder of those things. So twice now he's provided for them. He takes bitter water, makes it sweet, they can drink. He provides this food. And now we come to verse seven, or chapter 17. rather. Frank, will you read uh, just verses 1 through 3 here? All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? You said first one through three? Yeah, go in the next verse also. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Yeah, I mean, so here it is again. They've moved on. They've picked up their camp and they've been led somewhere else. God's still leading them by the pillar of cloud and fire. They're in the desert. They haven't made it to Sinai yet. And, uh, yeah, they're thirsty again. And they're grumbling and they're going, you know, give us water, Moses. You know, and what Moses is going, hey, why are you testing the Lord? Moses is trying to remind them, remember, he said he will provide for you. You know, he's already provided for you. You know, they have tangible physical instances of this. And yet, here they are again. And so I think this is sometimes my answer to people who are going, well, if God can show his existence to me, if he can show me, you know, that he's at work in the world, then maybe I'll believe and trust him. Well, no, you won't. No, you won't. You, you might for, for a short time, but then you'll go, well... God, why aren't you showing up again? I need this again. And in fact, Jesus in his ministry is going, here, you know, here is the sign of God's love for you, and yet you reject him. You know, God sends you. You've killed all, the, all of God's prophets, and here I am now, and you want to kill me, is what Jesus says to the religious leaders. Um, so even when God is at work right in front of us, our hearts are prone towards not trusting we're prone to doubting. And, and it, it is. And this is what the Israelites, that they, they went, well, how are we going to be provided for? You know, um, The people thirsted and they grumbled against Moses. And they're going, hey, why did you even bring us out of Egypt anyway to come out here? You know, whose idea was this? Um, so, so, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? They were in slavery. 
They were in oppression, and they want to go back. Because at least they had the stability. I mean, it's in some ways like somebody who's only used to prison life, and they're released from prison, and it's, you know, they don't know how to function in society. But at least in prison, they had their day was scheduled for them. They had their meals. And some people will do that. They will commit crimes just to go back because they actually feel safe. And it's strange. But I think that's an analogy for what we, how we are with sin. You know, Paul in Romans 7, wrestling with the things I do not want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I, I do or the things I want to do, I don't do. Um, he's struggling with that, you know. And that's what the Christian life is. It's being... We are simultaneously sinners and justified before God's sight. And we carry with us that. And so this is a reminder. The psalmist in Psalm 95 talks about this very event. In Psalm 95, verses 7 onward, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the, de- in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Isn't that interesting? This is, this is a psalm of praise, but it's talking about, hey, don't be like the Israelites when they were back there. It's Psalm 95. Yeah, 95. Um, you know, don't be back there, like back at Mara and back, back at Meribah. This is a... Uh, yeah, the, the, these places right here, because later on in um, Exodus 17, it's called Massa and Meribah because of quarreling. It, it means testing and quarreling. And that, so, you know, we read this account, and it kind of sounds kind of neat and clean. There's some people grumbling, but you can imagine, I bet there were, I bet there were punches thrown. I bet there was a sense of a rioting, you know I mean? It's called quarreling and testing. I don't think this was a calm scene of some people, like, calmly disagreeing. I think these were desperate people who were going, my whole family's going to die if you don't provide water. And Moses, this is your fault. I mean, I can see this happening. They're blaming, it's, you know, we see, what we see in politics right now, how angry people get at the other side. I mean, you can just imagine, this is literal life and death in the wilderness. We're about to die, Moses. Why'd you even take us out here? This is your fault. And Moses is going, Lord, <laughs> Moses actually goes to God and he's like, <laughs> uh, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. I mean, they're about to kill Moses right here. And he's their leader. He's the appointed leader that God has provided through. They saw him take his staff and throw it on the ground and it was the serpent that ate up all the serpents of the magicians in Egypt. They saw Moses put his staff into the water at the Red Sea in the water park. They saw Moses take a log and chuck it into bitter water and it becomes sweet. They had seen him perform miracles and they're ready to kill him. Isn't that amazing? Just as the Son of God performed all these miracles, healing people, caring for people, giving them signs and wonders, and yet they didn't believe and they end up crucifying him. You know, and this is, so Moses is a type of Christ in that way. He, he points to one who is greater, who will come. And so Mo, the Lord says to Moses back in Exodus 17, um, 
Pass on before the people, taking with you some elders of Israel, and take in your, sta- in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So Moses did so. So he strikes the rock and water gushes out, gushes forth. We know from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 that he says that rock was Christ. Christ is living water for us. And, and Paul references Psalm 95, don't harden your hearts like that. Don't do it. Um, trust the Lord. Trust Him and His mighty power and His provision for you. What He gives you each day is enough, even when it feels like it's not. Um, because he wants us to be dependent on him so we can cast our cares and anxieties on him. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's the promises of God. They are found in Christ for us. So that's all I got. You got anything? Do you have any uh, thoughts or questions? Or? I guess with the concept of the Lord's totally in control. And so... Nothing happens that he doesn't allow to happen. hmm Yep. Yeah. And so it's human nature to wonder, say, well now, what is the purpose of this? Yeah. How does it how am I a better person because I had to go through an illness or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's why we have books like the book of Job. Yeah. Which shows us I mean, Job is trying to make sense of his suffering. And he has these dumb friends who are well-meaning. They're just like you and me, who are like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. They're trying to explain it for him and help him understand. And at the end of the day, Job, Job demands an encounter with God, and God gives it to him. And you know what? Does God answer his question? Not really, because God basically says, where were you, Job, when I was forming the world? Where were you? I mean, he was kind of, you know... You're, and you're asking me why anything happens? You know, I'm the God of the universe. Um, and, and that's just, uh, that's the hard thing. And I think that's why we have to look to Jesus and the cross and see, yeah, every, nothing can happen without passing through the eyes of God first. And I think we have to take into account that includes him giving up his only son. The ultimate sacrifice um, beyond what he asked Abraham to do in giving up Isaac. Abraham had another son named Ishmael. And, and Abraham had to go up that mountain thinking, oh, you know, is Isaac the, the one that I have to kill here? And he gives him the ram from the thicket. No, God doesn't provide a, a rescue for his own son, you know. And, and so I think in that, God is not a God who's unacquainted with suffering. Yeah, 